Yo, we are sponsored. It's not we, it's me. I did it again. Sponsored today. I am sponsored. The podcast is sponsored today by the disaster response charity Team Rubicon UK. Team Rubicon's chiefly ex-military volunteers earned their spurs in hostile character testing environments. Today they deliver life-saving aid both at home and abroad. Every one of their grey shirt volunteers bring determination and hard-won experience to their humanitarian mission. They are one team with a bias for action, creating order in the wake of destruction. Right now, Team Rubicon are delivering critical aid to the people of Palu, Indonesia. Over 2,000 people are known to have died in the recent earthquake and tsunami, and many thousands are still unaccounted for. In the aftermath, 83,000 people have been displaced, with many living in temporary camps. As monsoon season approaches, the risk of deadly diseases like cholera and malaria increases amongst the survivors. At least 460,000 children have been affected by the disaster, many of them separated from their families. Team Rubicon are one of the very few international NGOs invited by the Indonesian authorities to provide support, but they can only stay in Indonesia as long as their funding allows. They need your help today. Following a devastating disaster, the people of Palu are in desperate need of water, food and shelter. A donation to Team Rubicon's fund could mean a difference between life and death for the people of Palu. You can find out more and be able to donate through their website at teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate. They believe that those who can make a difference must. Supporting Team Rubicon guarantees that those facing their darkest hour receive the help they need to begin rebuilding their lives. TeamRubiconUK.org Also sponsors today are Westway Nissan, the largest Nissan dealership in the UK and offering up to 20% off their vehicles for members or former members of HM Forces. They've got private and commercial vehicles, new and used. You can get them all at Westway Nissan. They even have exclusive deals with Nissan where Nissan provide them and no one else certain models of vehicle with certain specs. You can't get them anywhere else. You can only get them at Westway Nissan. And you're only going to discover what those are by going and visiting a dealership or visiting their website. Uh, not only that, if you are ex-military and you're looking for work, Westway are massive on recruiting you guys and girls into all sorts of roles, from technicians and sales through to a service receptionists. So if you're thinking about something to do when you get out, not sure what you want to do. Maybe you're already out and you're thinking of a career change. Get onto Westway Nissan and they will help you out. They have connections to the military all the way up to the top of that organisation and filtered down throughout Westway Nissan, the Cuddy UK, uh, for the website and Westway Nissan on social media. Check them out. Lastly, sponsors today are Rugby for Heroes, a not for profit organisation founded by a group of extremely keen rugby players designed to host various fundraising events to raise money for a range of armed forces charities, including 353, Help the Heroes, the Royal British Legion and the Soldiers Charity. They formed in 2009 to commemorate the loss in action of Private Joe Whitaker, who was a four-part soldier, and they've raised over £100,000 since for their benefit charities. All the founders are members of the old Leventonians RSC and are massive supporters of the forces and their families. Check out Rugby for Heroes at Rugby forheroes.org and their Facebook, Twitter and Insta feeds at Rugby Number 4 Heroes on the 10th of 11th of May in 2019 not that far away it's nearly Christmas they're having a beer and gin festival at the old Lemontonians RSC and all the proceeds are going to go towards uh, their, uh, their chosen charities I can't back that up 
I'm assuming all the proceeds are going to go, but I've said it anyway now. A lot of the proceeds are going to go towards the chosen charities. They're, uh, they're proud sponsors of the podcast, and they see it's a part of the continuing programme of support for veterans, serving members, and their families. On to the podcast. Number 33. A gentleman called Glyn Sadler, who claims to be... He claimed this off-air, though, uh, that the... A, a pastier, a pastier man than uh, Andy Torbert. Andy Torbert claims to be the pastiest white man in in the history of uh, of white people. Oh, controversial! Like we started, yeah. Uh, I, I I'm not sure if I agree. Judge for yourself if you're watching it. He is rowing the Talisca Atlantic Whiskey Challenge, regarded as the world's most challenging row. Uh, three thousand miles, him and three others, and uh, and also. Um, he's ex ex marine commando, and he's got his own company as well. Really interesting. We uh, we went on to all sorts of stuff. I didn't realise um, that he um, was involved in an infamous rescue mission in Afghanistan in two thousand and six, end of two thousand six, or beginning of two thousand seven on Herrick five, involving uh, strapping commandos to the side of Apaches. Uh, so that was a a super interesting conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed too. H plus 33 with Glyn Sadler. We rock in, are we? Excellent. Glyn Sadler, absolute pleasure to, uh, to meet you. And you, Absolute yeah. pleasure. Thanks for inviting me in. Um... Tell me about the jacket. The jacket that is uh, looks a bit like a Formula One team, That's all nice. sponsored and uh, yeah, they don't come cheap these, you know. This is my uh, row for victory jacket. Um, obviously, this year I'm I'm rowing across the Atlantic as part of a four-man team, um, taking part in the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, three thousand mile uh, rowing race across the Atlantic from uh, Lagomera, which is one of the Canary Islands, to Antigua. So yeah, and because I'm a member of the team, I get to get one of these cool jackets and these are all our sponsors and got the charity soldier on and Robich Legion there yeah so, so who, are the cha- who are the charities so Robich Legion yeah and uh, Soldier On which are a bit of a smaller charity and they um, I've heard of them I have yeah, heard of them you might have done the, 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 a bit of a smaller concern but uh, which is why we think they'll they'll benefit massively from the money we're raising but basically they they um, help uh, military personnel who've been medically discharged so obviously as, as, as you'll probably know that Guys who've been medically discharged, they don't have a choice <coughs> but to leave. You know, it, it, they might want to stay, but unfortunately, they're deemed um, that they, they can't be using it in an arduous environment. So that's a difficult thing to to come to terms with. So the charity soldier on basically helps them, uh, brings them, gets them involved in certain things like uh, archaeological digs, say that are funded and sponsored, and they bring them in and they they chuck them in there as get them doing a bit of project managing and everything from. You know, making cup of tea to you know right the way through the the the, the team of uh, workers getting involved with civvies and just they feel part of a team and you know help them transition basically. Archaeological digs. I know, yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I haven't. Seen, I know. I know that uh, some of the money we've raised so far. Um, so basically, it, to fund a, um, a an ocean rowing campaign, it costs a heck of a lot of money. And um, <clears throat> we've we've had to raise at least eighty thousand pounds just to buy the boat, the equipment, all the training we've got to do, all the food we've got to eat, the shipping, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
but in order to get that, you need sponsorship, uh, and corporate sponsorship is obviously better. Um, so it'd be good if you had a boat for that <laughs> to say, yeah. look, can, yeah. you want your name on the side of this boat? And so it's a chicken and egg scenario. Um, luckily for us, I mean, we've had such a successful campaign, all the money that's uh, been raised uh, through, you know, sponsors like these guys that um, as, as we've bought the boat early on, we got that in August this year. So it's like a year and a half into the campaign. So believe it or not, that's early <laughs> to get your boat. Some people are literally the last couple, like getting the boat now before, you when know, does the it, race start? It, race starts December twelfth. Yeah. So, um, but th- this year's been good actually. I think a lot of people have managed to get the boats a lot earlier and get them out there. But so yeah, going back to um, raising the money. Once you've got the boat, you've then got something tangible to sell in terms of space for logos and this that, and the other. And the money starts coming in. We made the eighty thousand quite some time ago. So since maybe June July, we've been raising money for the two charities I mentioned. Um, we've raised over uh, £20,000 now so for us to be in that position that we're going to go to the race start everything's paid for the the campaign's funded and every penny that we raise from from then on will go direct to these two charities Um, I think some of the money already is is is, you know being pinpointed for Soldier On to help fund an archaeological dig um, mainly in, in, in Yorkshire actually because so, I think they, they sort of help out with underprivileged youth up there as well so integrate the two which is pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah what's um, you're obviously ex-military what's, yeah. your, what's your background so I served as a Royal Marines commando for nine years I joined in uh, not too similar time to 99 I think year 2000 we joined two, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, joined in 99 passed out in 2000 and then, yes, yeah, spent nine years in around the bazaars. Um, ended up doing uh, uh, the first Afghan on a on a, a smaller role on board uh, HMS Fearless. Uh, so that was op- Oracle, was it? I think. Yeah. Or Oracle, Jakan- yeah, or Jakarta. I can't remember two. What was Veritas? What was that? that was it. Oh, Veritas. Veritas. Yeah. Is that, that two then? Two thousand one. You're talking about? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. So that uh, and then um, things were things were pretty quiet up until. 2005 ended up going to Iraq in 2006 and did a, a tour there for six months well it was shy of six months actually but that, that was interesting because we, we weren't actually on land we were in the Persian Gulf went out with HMS Bulwark and uh, we spent three or four months there doing anti-piracy stuff oh. basically just stopping the locals from stealing from each other really a lot of the, the fishing vessels out there they pirates had come in and steal the fuel off their boat and the fish go to the next fishing vessel and sell them the fuel and the fish <laughs> so it was just just trying to trying to bring some stability to the to the region really um so that that was a, a fairly quiet affair and then obviously afghan was 2000 and um i think it was 2006 7 so herrick five yeah, yeah. Then. So I think you took over those guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we took over from you in uh, Gamsia, is where we ended up in. No, Helmand. Oh, it's a bit further south, I think, maybe, is where we were. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. Muscala is further north at the Sangin Valley. Right. Yeah. So I think I think we were the furthest south in Mog South at one at one point, which is Gamsia. Yeah, so. I can't remember. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Gamsia is south. So I do. A, yeah. We we I think we had some limited. Operations in there on that area yeah. four tour, 
who were there and a couple of bits, but then most of the stuff was further north. Yeah, so I was I was there with um, Zulu Company. Um, I, I mean, I, I was uh, trained as a signaller from leaving uh, training in 2000 for my sins. I got pinged for that, and I never left that branch, but um, uh, I ended up taking over from uh, a lad that had that actually died on tour, uh, Matthew Ford. I ended up becoming a 2IC uh, in a section, which... I I did enjoy, but um, obviously it was to the detriment of someone else. Um, uh, but yeah, so all all this uh, coming back from Afghan, and then two thousand and eight, and sort of I was in line for a junior command course. I was a lance corporal at the time, and then we sort of I was getting married when I came back. Saw the timeline of what was happening the next year, sort of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I just thought nah, that's. Norway hmm. and mountain training or whatever then build up for another Afghan I just thought I, that, that's it I've had enough now I did seven months in Afghan and then it's just like going back out there they were starting to um, at the time we were out there it, it was they were willing to have a go there, there was there was no IDs you know it was all just like one not one on one but small arms fire <laughs> contacts five. yeah, yeah. Um, and you could see towards the end of that that they were <laughs> starting to switch on that that Maybe this wasn't a good idea. We're not. We're sort of losing too many guys, or whatever. Maybe we should start being a bit more sneaky and, and using IDs. And so when I left, uh, I remember going to visit the guys a couple of years later, and they'd just come back from. I don't know, it was Herrick Six or whatever, but and the uh, IDs were just just rife. And I was like, do you know what? I've done a patrol where you're just looking after your, you know, your arcs, or whatever. Never mind with a minesweeper in front of you. <laughs> you know, mm. so I just thought. I think I definitely got out at the right time. So kudos to the guys who've, who've had to deal with all that since then. Like, so it's got yeah, it's got harder. It's yeah. got harder. Um, well, I think it's the un, it's the unknown, isn't it? Because it, it, Eric Five has almost felt like we knew where they were. The you know the Helm River's there. They got this irrigation canal there. Anything there, you know, between those two, that's that's where the enemy are. So anything that moves, we know. Going to going outside of that to villages and this that and over that that was more difficult because you've got to um, you're dealing with different uh, mullers you know that have different allegiances to certain things so that was a bit more difficult. I think Kabul we we spent the first month in Kabul um, much to the sergeant major's dismay because I think it's sort of a bit of a waste of having guys just sat in sangers you know and doing a patrol but that was actually worse I think for the lads because. You were going out on patrol in Kabul, and, and um, the guys would be giving you a brief, right? Okay, so we've got uh, a couple of um, suicide bombers working in our area of operations. Uh, we know one of them's wearing a, a white turban, or whatever. And you go out, and you'd be like, "In white turbans everywhere," you know. It's just like, is this next handshake going to be my last sort of thing? Um, and you got kids all around you. You think, "Oh, we've got kids everywhere. Sure, they're not going to do anything when there's kids about." But you just I remember on, on our Eric Four tour, there was there were, there were, there were fucking kids getting blo- there was kids they were using kids yeah yeah blowing the kids up yeah, exactly because the kids could get closer to us yeah exactly this yeah. oh. it's, it's a bizarre it's a bizarre scenario isn't it <laughs> how do you describe that I don't know it's, it's just because yeah. I didn't I didn't even want to the kids would come up to you and you give them like pencils and stuff and like crayons and that so they don't get a lot of and. Uh, you want to shake your hand and you're like my hand does not leave this weapon I'm afraid I'm not shaking your hand go away you know and mm. it's it's not it's not really nice is it because you want to be 
relax and be there. Oh, we're here to help, you know. Hearts but and minds. How do you do? Because yes, yeah. there's a balance between hearts and minds exactly. and and, and uh, being on, uh, on, being ready for flipping anything. Exactly. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I, I decided that enough was enough, um, and I left in 2008. <coughs> uh, I'd say I would. I did have a, a difficult transition because it was pretty much straight after in Afghan. A year later, I was out. Was gone. And that that did feel a bit weird, uh, and I think at the time a lot of lads were leaving, and I mean the queue outside the CEO's office, you know, the day he left was like, you know, there's going to be anybody left when we go. Um, I don't, they they weren't really bothered about. I was expecting, look, you know, give it another chance. Don't leave now. It's going to get better. Yeah, you'll go to Afghan, but then we've got downtime. It was just like, right, yep, off you go. So you know, I wasn't, I didn't want anybody to beg for me to stay for anything, but it did feel, and I think a lot of the lads felt a bit like that especially coming back and, and getting the medals and things you'd have to go and knock on records and they'd be like oh yeah medals here in a draw there you go it was like no parades no and it did it did get better I think after that um, but I know a lot of lads sort of complained about that and uh, funny you say that I've not um, I've not heard someone else say that before I've said yeah, it yeah. repeatedly over uh, since that first tour I did yeah. I did all the three I did the four one the eight and the twelve and everything you say in there is true it's like the um you know the IEDs yeah. increased the the frustration of having to operate to deal with IEDs, which which reduces your manoeuvrability, reduces your speed, you can close the enemy with you flipping reduces everything. Yeah, it's yeah, very difficult yeah. um, to be as effective. Yeah, um, and also the 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 quality of the reception of the troops when they came back after the tours improved as well. Yeah. And I think that. Um, from what you're describing and um, I had a very similar experience I'd say when you, when you come back it was nothing yeah that, and that, the, but that reception and the quality of reception the higher quality I think the, the more the easier it is to reintegrate for a lot of people back yeah. in not civilian life even back in the UK um, when when you've done so much and uh, given so much, and that's what you think at the time. Not, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. I'm like a World War One no. soldier or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but you need when you've there's been uh, sacrifices made uh, over those over a tour that you've been on, and you, you come back and there's no recognition of it. I think it makes it difficult to transi- trans- transition into it. And it's yeah. not that uh, it's and that's from my personal experience. I, cause I've thought about it a lot since. Yeah. Uh, I kind of had a very difficult, a very difficult time coming back, and um, it's not that uh, it's not that I wanted recognition. Yeah. Oh, Hugh, you're amazing. Yeah, well done. Yeah, no, no, it's not. No, no. But the fact that it wasn't there yeah. had an impact. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. I, you know, I didn't do anything different to you. I didn't do anything different to thousands and thousands yeah, of other oh people. God. No, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, it, you, you're lucky that you know. For one, you, you've come back in one piece as well. So there's 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 always something to be thankful for, but. <clears throat> Um, I think my wife would say that you know the, the person I because we weren't married at the time it was one of those cliches you know I'll get married when I get back you know all the war films a guy who's getting married is going to get it <laughs> um, and yeah so when I came back I, I was uh, a totally different person um, probably I didn't see it that much but she would say that I was totally different very not to say angry but short and stupid things like everyday decisions would just seem so menial you know it was like what I remember specifically coming back from a on my R&R I've literally been sat in a in a sand bowl you know in the desert on a gun line and 
you know we just had a, just done an attack and we, we'd lost a lad and I'm like alright see you later lads I'm on, I'm on my R&R come back to go up to Scotland and I'm in a I'm in a five star hotel I'm having an eight course meal with this uh, palate cleaner sorbet thing with <laughs> things sat in a jacuzzi and it's just bizarre it's completely bizarre and you go down and so the R&R you think? yeah I'm yeah. on my R&R and we go, we go down into town it's up in Aberdeen we were um, going to a shop and there's this woman and I'm just thinking you know just two days ago it was like life or death decisions and I just see this woman and she's holding up a, a red dress and a white dress and she's like I don't know which one I want and I was like it's just mental and it's just things like that just make you just make you go crazy you know you're yeah, like, I hate what, what is going I hate on I hated every second of R&R I hated yeah, it yeah. I, I did it for every, every one uh, of those tours uh, I hated it all the time yeah, the it's an odd, odd feeling um, again I reckon resonate with you completely yeah. uh, it, I was I spent the whole time in a haze you have you have decompression yeah you know when you come back at the end of the tour yeah where you go to Cyprus for a couple of days and yeah. you sort of slowly that's the aim of it anyway you slowly yeah. bring you out of that mindset and into you're going back to be with around normal stuff now yeah. you don't have it an R&R no no you don't you're right <laughs> you don't have it an R&R no, so you go straight back and I was actually on the train with my, my body armour helmet everything people looking at me I hadn't shaved you know so I was pretty much as I am now people looking at you you know some sort of uh, hobo you know on the street and uh, <clears throat> like you say literally hours earlier you were hanging out <laughs> And now you're sat on a train getting, you know, a bottle of can of Stella or whatever. It's culture shock. It is, it's a oh, culture yeah. shock. It's also um, something that w- one of the ladies who've, who did the row last year, uh, she said that they, they suffered a bit from was uh, adrenaline hangover. You after know, so the row? After their row, yeah. So, you know, the, on the on the ocean, it's, it's, it's pretty... Uh, I'm only going off of what I've been told because I've, I've not experienced 30-foot waves or anything yet, which... I'm trying to sort of be naive to because I think that'll be better. I'll, I'll experience that when they come. You know, when you, you you're out there and you're looking after yourself and each other, and life's very simple in this in this little boat, and you are really making life and death decisions because if you don't keep that boat in the right, you know, you could, uh, place, you end up getting pitch poled or capsized or somebody goes in the water. And you never that's it. They're gone. You know, um, you're doing all that something amazing. You just cross an ocean and then you get back and it's like straight back into mum mode for, for her uh, and she's saying you know th- there's that adrenaline hangover that, that's difficult to get over and you, you do need time to adjust yeah so. I, it's um, yeah and it's funny you mentioned the, the simple life kind of thing the de- you know I didn't I would never have drawn that comparison you've just drawn I was yeah. rowing and, and <coughs> I mean I, I, at least I can see why there yeah, is that comparison yeah. and uh, it uh, probably well, I think maybe a lot do it is that it's the simple it's the yeah. simple stuff yeah um you like you said black and white it's yeah. black and white and you your responsibilities are very uh, are much fewer generally yeah. speaking yeah, than yeah. what you have when you're back in the uk yeah, yeah definitely but the impact of not taking those those fewer responsibilities seriously high, yeah. is yeah. catastrophic yeah, yeah. and so you focus on very few things all the time and obviously as you got the chain of command is yeah, yeah. more uh, it's it's that's not to say it's simple no. or easy. No. You know, it's flipping complex. Oh, yeah. um, and then to come back, yeah, and uh, worry about paying your phone bill and stuff. Well, that's it. It's it's you know you're literally looking after right. You got your rations. What am I going to eat now? Uh, have, have I got enough you know ammunition? Whatever. Okay, we're getting ready to go on patrol. Need to get that ready. That and other than that and sleep, that's <coughs> it, isn't it? You know, it's just you and your mate. And like I say, you come back and 
that I think I've never felt more stressed. I felt less stressed on the front line in Afghan than I have being in Civvy Street yeah. because you know yeah. Yeah. when money's tight and you know oh, if I don't get this next job, you know things are going to be <coughs> be a struggle and. Uh, and you can just see why people in, in everyday jobs just want to drive a car into a brick wall. I can I can totally relate to that. Prior to that, in Afghanistan, you, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, you, you're in a nice car and a you've got a house and a. Uh, it's like, well, it's not as simple as that. And I think life is stressful in general, but you just I don't think you see that, and I don't think you you know how how uh, difficult things can be for just everyday. Like you think. Somebody's always they're fighting their own battle, aren't they? You don't know what what they're doing. So, but yeah, so it's just um, I, I, that's the most I've been stressed is being a civvy. Yeah, <laughs> and it, <laughs> in those points, I mean, when I just just the, literally the last week coming up to leaving, we, uh, we'd we'd moved to um, we lived in Arbroath opposite. Well, I was based at Four Five Commando. Uh, we lived there for a couple of years. The day we left, we I was living down in Darlington, and uh, I was like, right, I've got. I've got two weeks leave left. I thought like, I, haven't got, I haven't got a job. Like, How are we going to pay the mortgage? I thought right. I've got, I've got my driver's license, my cat C plus C. I thought maybe I could do some <coughs> driving, you know. Uh, and she was like, not doing that. I was like, well, I'm gonna have to. I have to get some money in. And at that point, I just realised the huge safety net that I had abandoned. That 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 roof over your head, the food on your table that would not always be there no matter what. I was like, I think I made a big mistake here. And uh, Look, just out of sheer luck, I, I rang somebody for a job that I didn't even have the qualifications for. I just thought I was going to ring. I'd sent hundreds and hundreds of CVs off to people. Please, I, I, I was trying to get offshore. I think all the lads at that time trying to get offshore. It's good money. Two weeks on, two weeks off. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty good. Um, and uh, it, it was just saturated. The lads were either doing CP, leaving, or they were going offshore, doing whatever. So I was like, I'll try and get offshore. I'd, I'd done some qualifications, and uh, I, I didn't have enough qualifications. Nobody cares you were a marine. No, nobody cares. Nobody cares that you've done an Iraq and an Afghan or whatever. It, they want qualifications. They want certificates, and they want experience. <laughs> and I had, you know, pretty much none of that. And I just rang this guy, and he, he, he said, "Oh well, luckily it was I was doing ultrasonic testing on welds." Which sounds pretty boring. It is quite boring, but <laughs> um, so well. Funnily enough, a UT guy's just—he's he's quit work this morning. I didn't at the time. I didn't think. I wonder why he's quit. So think, a, what, but, a what guy? Uh, UT oh, uh, ultrasonic testers. Oh yeah. yeah. So he's just quit this morning. So there's a place in Bolton. I was like Bolton, right? Okay, yeah, I'll do it. And it was um, it was ten pound an hour, so it wasn't too bad. Ten hour days. I thought, right, I can manage that. But it was in Bolton, so I had to. Sarah was pregnant with my firstborn, Lily. So I was away from home. I was like, "What, what am I doing?" I'm, I said to Sarah, "I'm gonna have to have to drive back up." I said, "I can't do this." I was in a factory. Uh, a, <coughs> a buzzer would go off at ten o'clock for a ten minute break, and a buzzer would go off at lunch for half an hour, and then a buzzer would go off at three for a seven minute break. I'm like, seven minutes? I'm doing seven minutes. I even make a cup of tea in seven minutes. And I just thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. Um, luckily, things worked out, and I managed to get a job close to home, and then I ended up. Having somebody who maybe saw something in me that was a bit better than not saying I'm better than a UT guy or anything like that, but you know I could take it a bit further. And they put me through uni, and I went and did a HNC, and uh, I wasn't very academic at school. That's not why I joined the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> I I think when I was at school I wanted to be a pilot. I think all kids want to fly planes. But then I got my GCSE results, 
was like, that's that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> so um, I, I think I failed my English and maths, went and redid them. And uh, I was just like, oh, I can't do this. I, I just scraped C's or whatever. I thought, I can't do this. I, 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 there's no way I'm going to manage A-levels or uni. Right, I'm just going to join the Marines. So I ended up joining then. So, uh, but yeah, so when I started at uni doing the HNC, I was like, uh, I get it. I get it now. Knowledge is power, literally. And I just was like a sponge. I was like, I love this. The maths was, I was like flying through it. It was like A level maths, which is, you know, fairly difficult. I was like, I'm loving this. So these things snowballed. Now I run my own engineering consultancy business. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. So basically, I go into uh, anywhere that manufactures anything it could be a subsea valve whatever and i follow these things through all the process and make sure the client gets what he's paying for so so, so it's qu- like quality so yeah so quality it's like, yeah basically quality quality assurance um but because i've 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 spent the last 10 years doing various amounts of different processes you know heat treatment ca- i've been to some amazing places i think my job's pretty boring but you know I've seen some pretty impressive stuff, huge castings being made at furnaces and all welding, machining, pressure testing, painting, all of this. So now it's just all this one bit of knowledge that I, I'm sort of jack of all trades, if you like. I don't know, I'm not like a, uh, I forget what the word is when you're just good at one thing, one trick pony, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so, but you know, I sort of know a, a bit about a lot. So that's put me in good stead, and I've had a lot of work for the last ten years, and it's done me good. Yeah, so um, things do work out for the better, I guess. But I think that first year leaving was the hardest, definitely. Just, just, just adjusting to life. And I think what one of the lads on the road, Duncan Roy, he's uh, he he's done a crossing before, um, and uh, his last day of the army, he was in a Royal Engineers. Uh, was literally, was literally at sea, so I think he'd use some of his leave at the end uh. to be at sea. So that's probably the best thing for him because it's a huge distraction <clears> being away. But then I think maybe might struggle a bit when he got back because you've just come back off something as epic as crossing a, an ocean, and you're now no longer in the army, which you've obviously he got medically discharged. He, he was helped out by a soldier on during his discharge, so that's uh. why we ended up uh. Uh, teaming up with them. Yeah, so. Um, He'd be an interesting guest to have on. Get him on, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so you said Duncan, didn't you? Duncan. Yeah, Roy, Duncan yeah. Roy. Yeah. So um, he was based at Two Four Commando. Uh, I think he got injured on his commando course, um, the knee injury, um, and he had an operation, which I think meant that that was it for his for his running. Uh, anyway, but uh, in his uh, transition to all his all the medical issues. He started rowing as way of uh, rehabilitation, and just found out he was a bit of a ninja rower. So he started rowing for the army and was winning, you know, indoor rowing competitions, winning things on the water, and uh, ended up getting an invite whilst we'd made this team to go and row uh, with a, a Dutch adventure called Ralph Toyn. Um, as a, I think it was initially as a four, ended up being a five. Uh, and then ended up going from mainland Portugal to French Guiana. Um, but I think they had a lot of issues on the way. And then mm. they ended up having to stop at the Canaries and then having to stop at the Verde Islands. So a bit of a, a bit of a hop, but that last bit I think the last thousand miles they rode arms only because the seats the, the bearings oh on the seats God. are frozen. So we've got about a million spare 
ball bearings for our <laughs> seats on our boat because like this is not happening on our crossing. So, yeah, but to just to briefly chat about the other guys, I guess. Um, so yeah, Duncan, ex Royal Engineer, got myself ex Royal Marine, Fraser Molum. He's um, he's still serving actually. He's in the RAF. He's a chief technician at um, RAF Linton on Ooze. He's working on the Tucanos, which I think is one of the stages where the pilots go from propeller. I think it's the last propeller plane before they jump up to oh, the jet right. sort of thing. Um, that camp's amazing. You should see the facility. What's the camp? RAF Linton on Ooze. Where's that then? It's uh, just north of York. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they've got a, an immense gym facility there, and we've been abusing that as much as we can. Well, pilots have got all that time to go to the gym, oh, haven't they? I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> if we're trying not to, if we're told, you know, they have the, um, I don't know what it is, where they stick you in it and they spin you about. And the long arm centrifuge. Yeah, they're yeah. like, no, you're not allowed in that. We're like, yeah, go on, let's just get in it. <laughs> <laughs> have um, they got one there, have they? I think they've got, they've got something similar. Um, I think it's a bit like a, it looks a bit like um, a pair of trousers that you, they just drop you in with yeah. like straps up here and do all sorts of. Oh, know, that's like, the like a, um, that's something the, to do with balance and. Yeah, I can't remember what that's called. Throws you about, doesn't it? But the one that goes around the James Bond one, it's a long arm, long arm. Ah, right, yeah. You sit the, in the it, space, like the space one. Space yeah. One. yeah. Well, none of the pilots use it as well. Do they? Right. Yeah, pilots do it as well. Right. And then you get the other one where they stick you in a, a pressure suit, and you, they they replicate the. Altitude, and then they rapidly drop it. Oh right, yeah, like right. plunge, and you have to square your breathing away, or your, yeah, your lungs explode. Explode at your head. No, I wouldn't do that. I, d- I don't know if I did long. I sent you for actually. I don't know if I did. Well, that. I was um, not not ashamedly. I quite enjoyed it, actually when I was thirteen. A bit geeky. I was in the air cadets, and um, you got to fly planes. I was like, oh, this is pretty good actually. You get to, f- you know, you, they literally give you the controls, and you get. Is, to, is that a hawk? No, it was. Um, what was it? A bulldog, I think it was. The bulldog and the chipmunk. I think it was the bulldog. Had a chipmunk. I, 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 um, I had on the the governor of Jersey on what, two two shows ago. I think I said the same to him. Um, hawk, because my sister was air cadets. Oh yeah, and she went in a hawk. Might have been an experienced flight though. I oh yeah, yeah. Valley, maybe I don't know. Yeah, because we used to go on like summer camps. I was up at Linton News. This is actually weird because we went in a Nimrod, and we ended up, which is like a, mm. I know it's a spy plane or surveillance, yeah, surveillance. AWAC. Yeah. AWAC. So there we were you up, go. up over the North Sea, and we were looking for a guy who we, I thought was completely crazy at the time that had tried to row from Holland to Britain. And everyone's like, "What an idiot!" <laughs> <laughs> we're looking out for this, trying to find this rowing boat. How far is that? <laughs> Not that far. No, far. It's not like, 40 miles. It's a couple of hundred miles. If what that. are you doing? 3,000. 3,000. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Fast forward 20, 20, oh God, more than 20 years. That'll be when I was 13. So four, oh, maybe it's not that long ago. 24 years, yeah. yeah. And I'm uh, doing something just as stupid. Nimrod out looking for me. All our life experience. <laughs> you just like, stuff it. I'll just yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. T- question for you. Going back to um, Afghan. Yeah. five. Mm. Before you took over that section, uh, took when you, before you took over twice see that section where you replaced the yeah. um, Matthew Ford, was it? That's right, yeah, Matthew. What were you doing? Were you signalling before that? Yeah, before? yeah. So I was the uh, I was oh. attached to the OC OC signaller. Yeah. So everywhere he went, I went, just carrying a bit more kit than him. <laughs> <laughs> the radio. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was my job for a good, I'd say, three months, four months. 
Well, it's about just over halfway in. Yeah, just over uh, halfway. When you change over, I, mean, I, I asked. I'd asked to be put into section because we were overloaded with singlers in that in that company. Um, who had uh, a big black lad, Sam, who was the the ice the he was uh, acting corporal because uh, they didn't want to put two lance corporals in a deck because we just argue with each other. So I thought make him the acting corporal in the sixth deck. In the sixth deck, yeah. And then we had I think we had three. We had four <coughs> lads, so we were we were we were overloaded. And I said. Look, I'm due to go on my junior command course when I get back. I said I'd really appreciate it and get some time in a section just to, you know, get back to the way things should be, you know, mm. SQBs and all that. Um, and they were like, yeah, okay. So when you come back from your R and R, we'll stick you in one of the sections or whatever. Um, I was like, I said, even if it's a troop RO, I'm quite happy to do that, you know. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, literally, it must have been two days before I was due to come back. Uh, we did this huge assault on. It wasn't even supposed to be an assault on Jugram Fort. That you, you'll, you'll recognise the name in a minute. But uh, we were tasked to set up a, a gun line and basically just obliterate this anything that moved in this fort. And uh, we were told that under no certain circumstances will we go in to enter the fort. And the way things came, you know how it's going, what's going to happen. We ended up having to attack the fort with no no decent set of orders, no brief on anything. Is that high ground? Well, we were on high ground. We had to cross a river, and literally, as soon as you cross the river, there's the fort. And we ended up with like a a, a traffic jam on the other side of the river. As soon as we got out, the five lads had been taken out, and we we're just like, "What the fuck?" One of those, unfortunately, it was Matthew Ford, and we didn't know it at the time, um, but he 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 was killed, and the other four lads ended up um, being shot in various parts, uh, and it ended up being a blue on blue, which, when you really really think about it, is it's not understandable, but if you don't, if you've not got a proper brief, and you don't know what's going on. You know, I think the guy just panicked, explosion to his right, or whatever, and just ended up hosing a load of the guys. Got brought back out, and we're like, "Where's, where's Matthew Ford?" And he's like, "There's some confusion with, there was another Ford at the, um, at the HQ." <coughs> and I thought, "Oh, he's here. He's with us." And we're like, "All right." So. We'll later oh, learn. Fucking hell! I, I know, know you can hunt it now. Yeah. Go on, go on. So le- le- later on, we sort of learned that that wasn't the case, and he's still missing. Uh, and we're sort of like reorged, and uh, Apache helicopters landing right next to us, and the Apache pilot's like waving me over, and I'm like, "What? What do you want?" And he's, he's signalling me to do something. I don't know what he wants, but anyway, he he, he looked frustrated. He gets frustrated. And he just takes off and walks off. So we're all getting ready. Like we're gonna have to go back to get Matthew. Everybody get ready. Get we're going to send one troop over, or whatever, and uh, we're told no, you're not, you're not going back in. So upset. that was a frustrating for all the lads. Um, and the next thing, this is when famous Apache. I thought uh, I was rescue. exclaiming just now. Just remember what you yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, one of my one of the lads from the Sigs that ended up getting strapped to an Apache, flying over, found his body, brought him back, um, and that's probably one of the saddest things that I've ever seen. Was his his limp body hanging from an Apache? This is Matthew Ford's body, uh, but with his weapon sling because that's all he had to attach him. And it was weird because you didn't know lads had the cameras out because we didn't know he was dead. You know they were like getting ready to film this amazing rescue. This is Ali, yeah, kind and of thing. Matthew yeah. Matthew yeah. Ford, and, and we were just giving it. We were expecting him to give us a wave, like you know. And it soon became apparent that you know, he's not. He's he's gone, sort of thing. Or he, he's very close to it. Brought him down. Um, and Doc, Doc Doc ran over straight away, 
and yeah, no, he's 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 dead. He's gone, and I sort of not uh, how to put it wasn't annoyed that it looked like something that the enemy would do to parade something you know like showing a dead body or whatever. Mm. Uh, it's maybe they should have just taken him somewhere else, but I don't know whether the lads needed to see to see that. Um, I just remember one of the guys who was close to him, just his head just buried into Matthew's chest, obviously weeping, uh, and uh, wrapped him up, and, and that was the sort of the last we saw of him. Was it the? Oh, uh, just the signaller and the pilot, and they got him onto the wing. No, so I think there was two guys. I'm sorry, I'm assuming yeah. the Apache spotted that this yeah. is why the the pilot landed because the Apache's pilot spotted Matthew's body. Possibly, that's a possible um, without knowing the full ins and outs. But I think they were trying to organise this at our end. I get some of the lads strapped to the <coughs> Apache, and we'll take you over and we'll go find him, sort of thing. But because we didn't have any communication with them, they ended up going back to the HQ. They were called back to HQ to say, right, this is what we're going to do. Um, and I think there were two guys on like one on either side of the Apache. Uh I don't know how many Apaches landed, but they just ended up I think there's four guys that went out to look for him. There's some really cool paintings of, of the scene actually, which is uh, uh graphic and uh grabbed his body and, and strapped it to the side and then just flew him back over. So I mean <laughs> he was an absolute monster of a man. He was taller than you and I. He was huge. So he must have weighed like hundred, hundred and ten kilos, easy. I don't know how his weapons, <laughs> Puss's weapon sling, held his body to the, uh, but it did. Um, so yeah, li- li- after that, we sort of did a, um, I don't know what, a debrief or whatever, and it's like right, you, you, and you, you're off on R and R tomorrow. So you need to. It was like all right, and that was it. So it, it, that was the day before your R and R. Yes, it was the day before oh my R and R. So I, I sort of sat in my shell's grave, and I remember looking over to one of the lads who was in, who was his uh, bivy partner. And he's now on his own, so you got you know you're all lined up in your shell scrapes, whatever, in a triangle, and he's sat on his own, and just just completely dejected. Uh, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to speak to him, but uh, just sort of like you know left the guys like that. Uh, and then when I came back from my own, I said, right, yeah, you're going into, I forget what section it was, uh, five troop, three section, or whatever, and you're taking where Matthew was. So, I felt a bit weird anyway, because from then on, I, luckily I knew all the lads really well, because I'd been their um, deck commander in manoeuvre support groups, they were all heavy weapons lads, mm. so I knew him really intimately anyway, but obviously I haven't spoken to anybody about this whole thing, and all I wanted to do was speak, like, oh, you know, what, what happened, what, what, what's happened to this And house? they've all moved past it. So and they don't want to talk about it anymore, yep. they're like, that's it now, so that was a bit difficult. Because uh, they even said, "Look, I don't, I don't really want to talk about it." I was like, "All right, okay, fair enough." So I just sort of left it, but it definitely left a. I think the other thing was there's some key guys in that section that got taken out, ended up in Bastion, and I could see straight because on my way to R and R, I went to visit them, and that was quite hard seeing you know oppos in hospital beds. Obviously, a lot harder for them being in the in hospital bed, um, but just like, oh, can you? These marines that you know that the super super fit, uh, you know super energetic, strong, and now they're reduced to you know they can't even get up out of bed, and you're having to help them out. It's a really really weird uh, feeling, uh, and it's because they'd been they were now out of the the section that the troop itself, the morale, you could just feel was just really low, and uh, 
So that made up for an interesting dynamic for the next couple of weeks until things sort of settled down. We got some replacements in, and fi no, no, no issues with with people coming in and and transitioning straight into because they were all, I don't know, you're all bootnecks, aren't you? You know, you, you all do the same job and uh, be the same for you guys. You know, you'll just you'll know them probably you've probably seen around camp or whatever so it's just like crack on and, and get on with it so mm. that was the end of that <clears throat> and then the next three months I spent as two IC in a in a section and uh, the the actually the IC uh, Darbs um, it ended up becoming a Sergeant Darbs I forget his first name you never call anybody my first name do you? <laughs> and uh, he ended up uh, dying a, a few years later um, which that brought another funny feeling on because I've been out a couple of years now and you sort of feel a bit of guilt don't you because you know you've not, you've, they're doing their bit still and you're not doing your bit anymore oh you got so killed on a tour bit, yeah he was killed on a tour yeah yeah which is, is a bit, he, uh, he he saved my life actually because I ended up being uh, cause I was super keen and being a bit overzealous and <laughs> I just we ended up uh, I think ended up getting attacked by some uh, I think they call it a Pashtun the Pashtun fighters or whatever they'd come over from Iran or wherever and one of the lads said he was looking through the um, clue of the anti-tank uh, like thermal, thermal yeah thermal it's all green isn't it so he <coughs> just sees this green blob and he's like what's that because there's lots of like wild dogs and that kicking about out there and this green blob stops and it just goes boop, 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 and it turns into like, separates eight blobs he's like oh, oh shit <laughs> and then next thing RPG straight in the Sanger and they start firing manoeuvring towards the checkpoint and uh, we'd been um, where were you where was this where this, was was in, this was in Gamsius this was oh, uh, still Gamsius yeah okay. JTAC Hill I think it was, it was called uh, up until this point the Sergeant Major was having us uh, doing the old stand to at like um, first light last light and you know what lads like drift about initially don't they like, like being back in training stand to and <laughs> up until this point nothing had ever happened and we were literally sat there sat to without MVGs on just sat Oh, we'd managed to get cop beds down there and uh, right that's it right start taking stuff off and then this kicks off and we're like, everything back on our section was on uh, QRF went straight round there was literally a run up you know a 200 metre runaway got there in the meantime th I think they'd called in everything on these this lot and me and this other lad just just ran round the front of JTAC Hill we just ran like as if we were just going to take them out ourselves sort of thing and I was like what? two of you yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we were just just adrenaline was up. In fact, oh, they're in front of J-Tank. Right, we've got it. Let's get them in front of J-Tank. And Dad was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get back here now. And he, he just like brought us back and just controlled us. And he was just super cool. You know, like, just right, this is where the line is. You don't go any further until I say, this is where we're. And uh, I just think, what an idiot. What am I doing? Just, uh, I, to be fair, in a weird way, that, that was, Afghan was the most enjoyable and the worst time of you know my my career in the Marines, um, m most enjoyable just because you, you get to use all the weapon systems you've been taught on. You know, Job satisfaction. Exactly. Um, there's so many funny stories about you know. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one funny story. I'd, up until Can this. Uh, yeah, please. Mate, yeah. Up until this point, I'd I'd um, I'd only ever fired a. a, a Point uh, fifty cal, you know, on the ranges, just once, twice, and so you know Should when. Cheers, bud. Yeah, you know when you're on, you're on a, in a sang with this fifty cal, you're like, oh please, please, something happens, so I can get this off, and um, 
I was looking through the binoculars and we're wondering how this little village to the side of the Helmand River and wondering how are they how are they supplying the guys in in this no go zone? So how are they getting across? They must be getting across the river somehow. And um I must have had uh what was the um Thundercats? You know, the sight beyond sight. <laughs> had these binoculars. <laughs> I was looking through these binoculars and I was like, What the fuck is that? I was like, it looked like a um it was ba- basically it was two guys in an upturned boat over their heads. I was like, "What is that?" And they were, what, they were in the water. No, no, they were going up to the water, and because like <clears throat> Helmand, it, it gets deep and then it gets shallow. So they were getting across. They got across to a shallow point and they're having to walk it like this. And I was like, "No, you're joking!" I thought this is just it's just too good to be true. Trying to hide <laughs> under the well, boat. no, no, they weren't trying to hide. They were trying to get across the river with supplies to the Taliban or whatever and I saw straight onto the boss I was like have you seen, have you seen this he's like fucking hell I said shall I uh, they, were, they were miles away they were too far away there was never going to be so he said yeah. he was like yeah alright then so I was just like a couple of shots off with this with this 50 car nowhere near them but it was like a, something from a comedy because the rounds are sort of splashing around them and they're trying to turn a bit you know, like, to me to you like which way do we go and end up going back over and it was just it was like just bizarre and hilarious um, obviously a life and death to them but to us it was like it was hilarious and when when they went back over they dropped the um, boat off they were like well, we know what your game is now um, they went to pay that village a visit um, I think the next couple of days they were not happy they did not want us there we'd um, tipped up from out of the desert got dropped off and, and yomped in so they weren't expecting that um, the Vikings did you see the Vikings yeah. using the loudest machines in the world. There's no stealth about them whatsoever, but you can use that to your advantage. So you just leave them driving around somewhere else. They think, oh, they're over there. Next thing, you know, a troop of uh, bootnecks come wandering out the desert. And uh, the whole male population in this village just came out and almost like put a wall up, like you're not coming in here. And to be fair, I think they they just didn't want, just didn't want any trouble. You know what it's like, it's... Just can you just leave us alone today, please? You know, I, even if they were hiding stuff, you know, it's they they do live there, and you know, you just they just don't want they've got kids, and you know, when you see the, these films and the kids are uh, walking out, you know, that's like a combat indicator, isn't it? Kids walking away, and mm. the, the woman carrying two babies and like running past you on patrol, you're like walk with um, <laughs> yeah, something's something's going down here. So <clears throat> yeah, just stuff like that was it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, Interacting with with the, the locals out there, uh, and, and the the poppies. Obviously, you'll have seen plenty of the poppies, did you, when you're out there? Mm-hmm. Just how big a thing that is. It's like, it's like a beautiful, multicolored patch, you know, either side of Helmand, and uh, it, it's their entire livelihood because they, they they've got they can't grow anything else. Well, they can they can grow food for themselves, things, but I'm saying they can't take them to. So the whole point of us being there was to help. The infrastructure, so we can get them off growing these bloody poppies. But they can't do that because they've got no roads to take the produce to market. You know, it, it'd be off and by the time it got the there. It's the same value anyway. The value yeah, of the exactly. is so much more to them. It's the highest oh, uh, yeah. exporter of heroin, uh, uh, op- opium. opium, isn't it? Yeah, yes. in the world. So it, n- it's where something like ninety percent of cocaine comes from. Is it? Yeah, uh, the co- cocaine. Cocaine from the poppy. No, it's not. It's heroin, is it? Heroin. heroin. God, I'm an yeah. idiot. It's the, the, the other white one. <laughs> yeah, the other white one, yeah. Something like 90% of the world's heroin comes from Afghanistan. And that's still the case, is it? 
that's what it was then. Right. That and that number is approximate. I know it's yeah. most of the, the supply. Um, yeah, like, like, yeah, drugs. <laughs> <I know. laughs> like, one, of, one of my first attacks out there was in a, was in a ganja field. <laughs> well, that, that I think that happened. Did you all did end up getting burnt? No, because that, that used to happen uh, a lot, didn't it? That, what the field getting burnt? Yeah, we, I think no. we ended up attacking a, or clearing out an opium factory. There was loads of stuff in there that was getting burnt, and all the lads were getting high off this stuff. And they said, "Yeah, you, you're exempt from drug testing when we get back," sort of thing. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the, the the Afghan National Police they would literally quit their job the day that the poppies were due for harvest, and we'd watch. It was like watching a football game. They'd have you'd have the the like the the shed or what the storage facility, then like a, an, an open field, all the poppies, and you just see these guys sprinting. Because they get paid more doing that in one mm. night than they would a month's wages for the national police or whatever. Mm. So it's very difficult to then say, "Oh, we don't want you doing this. We're going to like obviously the Yanks learned that lesson by when they went in and started burning all the poppy fields. You just pissed everybody off." Well, that was only a PR exercise anyway. Yeah, it was no, it, yeah. as in for uh, the US and you know for the place of the West because because it's funding everything else is failing. Yeah, so. Well, we need good news stories. Oh, yeah. we've reduced the um, the output of uh, opium, which causes... Yeah. Oh, that's great. We've also increased starvation. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that's great. What have we done for Afghanistan? Everybody no, hates you. Nothing. No, everybody hates you. <laughs> yeah, every, yeah. Including including yeah. the people that are... They're more skint. Yeah, including <laughs> the uh, the IAX uh, forces that are out there because everybody hates us as much as you know. But, I mean, I think uh, one of the stripies had an uh, American towel and... Um, I don't know whether he did it, just see what would happen. But he hung it over, like, a, a checkpoint, see if we could, oh, let's see if we can draw some fire or whatever, <laughs> so we can try and spot them. The world opened up, because <laughs> he had this American towel hanging out. It was like, lads were like, can you just put that back in, please? You know, we weren't happy with it, but... Uh, yeah, don't, be careful what you wish for. We were <clears throat> on the third tour. Um, we ended up, it was Christmas, it was Christmas Eve, <laughs> and I was at the... HQ patrol base, Kamar, and a bunch of us. Um, we was a, we sent basically a, a, a patrol out to one of the uh, to one of the checkpoints in a, in a in a village called the Kilabad, and it was to bring Christmas presents. Yeah, mm. <laughs> all all the mail come in. We're like, right, so what, to, to right. the lads or to yeah, the, the lads? Oh, right, to the lads. Yeah. No, not the to people. the locals. <laughs> I'm like, don't think they appreciate that. <laughs> Right. This no, no, we're here in the first. No, it's <laughs> the checkpoint where um, uh, there was it, what platoon was it? It was uh, it was two platoon, two platoon, and I got my Bergen, and your Bergen out. Normally, you only were patrolling a day sack, don't you? A day sack and put away, and got a Bergen emptied out, filled it full of mail, and all the presents had gone out. We went out through the night, cut across, got there, literally, literally like some uh, like uh, Santa Claus patrol, you know. <laughs> drop the drop the stuff off and we wanted to get back before first light because first light is when yeah we let's see you're vulnerable and yeah. you probably end up in the contact and uh we got there we thought if we have a if we extend the length of this brew robin we could time it so we're, we're going back at that time so we can have a bit of a bit of a test yeah. <laughs> and uh <clears throat> we ended up doing that and we came back across and I was thinking, yeah, cool. You know, uh, I was at the time, I quite a, I, I had quite a good job at the time. I was with HQ, but I was doing Int, and I was um, having a heavy, playing a, a, 
a very good part in suggesting the uh, like offensive ops that the OC right. would decide to do. Okay. He had a lot of faith in me, which was good. That's good. Yeah, but I would also get to pick and choose what patrols I went on. Really? So I, would, I, I wouldn't bother Just going out on the... So how was that? Because obviously... Uh, um, oh, I was, was cutting about my bolt action. So I was, I was snipers for the first two tours. Ah, right. And the third tour, there was a spare bolt action back in Bastion. I got one right. of the guys who was still in the sniper team, the four mounted to me. Yeah. So I, I picked the offensive ops I go out on, because I knew what was happening, because I picked the ops, and then I'll pick the target, and then... Uh, oh, let's rephrase that. I had an influence on the target, yeah. every influence. <laughs> and I get out, and I'd know where to cut a boat with a bolt action. That's interesting. <laughs> it's good crack, mate. That's it interesting. Yeah, it's good. Did you have... Um, oh, sorry, on that, so be careful what you wish yeah. for, that patrol oh, back, where we yeah. came out in that first light, yeah, I, 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 I smashed my ankle in. Oh. Yeah, got, as soon as he got bumped, I ended up uh, jumping into an irrigation ditch. Yeah. And as I landed, <laughs> cracked my ankle. But I'd yeah. gone... I'd been... I can't remember what... I was at the, I was at the rear of the patrol, we got a contact right. So, we, yeah, we got a contact right. The nearest thing to me was the irrigation ditch. So I pushed forward to the irrigation, towards the enemy, towards the irrigation ditch. Yeah. The rest of the patrol pushed back. Right. <laughs> so I jumped in this irrigation ditch. Like a, uh, a uh, not far off a tactical bound ahead of everyone else yeah. and a tactical bound towards the enemy. And I looked around and I, fuck. <laughs> I went the wrong way there. And then to get back out... <clears throat> My ankle was smashed in, mm. so I couldn't move at any. I there's like open ground between me and there's like yeah. where, the, where the where the rest of the people were, and uh, that was not a pleasant uh, run out there. Trying to climb out with a smashed in ankle, yeah. and of course that's I wore jungle boots that much all like a flipping idiot. What with the metal? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I put them on. I don't know why I had them. Oh they, no, desert boots. I wore desert boots. Ah, okay. You know the, the U.S. Army yeah. issued desert boots. I shouldn't have because I got weak ankles. Right. I, I, I smashed yeah. them a lot of times. I've been rugby. Which ones are there? Because one thing, I, one thing I would say, and it's definitely worth mentioning, that um, Iraq, maybe sort of like 2000, 2005, how incredibly poorly equipped everybody was when it came to stuff like desert boots and body armour <coughs> and, and and stuff like that. We went from, uh, when it came to Herrick 5, we were so well equipped, really, in comparison. Yeah, but it, it got worse. The problem how is, do you mean? The problem is that that, that, that not the problem. That um, the some of the equipment improved in that, uh, like the boots, for example. Yeah. Not the body armor. And the body armor got better, more ballistic protection, but it made it heavier, and you couldn't move as fucking fast. Well, we, we were very fortunate in Zoo Company that the the OC and the Sergeant Major were, were all behind, allowing us to wear CBA what we wanted CBA or with not the plate carriers on. So we'd take the, the take the Osprey off, take the plates out of the Osprey. We bought these, everyone bought these plate carriers in Bastion. So you had yeah, yeah, just yeah, the, yeah. the big yeah. plates front and back. A couple of lads just went with a small one on the back, but after joking for We've been in it. We, see, really? yeah, I, and it's not, that's, that's not to go, oh, you're yeah. fucking better than you. But yeah. it, this is an example of what I'm saying is, as it went on, things yeah. became, it, be, it, it the equipment became not not being given because it made us a better fighting force yeah. but because it afforded more protection because yeah, of the public outcry was going yeah, 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 killed yeah, so on that Herrick 4 which was the immediately preceding to you we were going with CBA or not and right. and we were going to, and it was set, it was a session commander's discretion right. so we I know like all the snipers would and I know a lot of the, the rifle sections would if we were going on defensive op yeah. we we wouldn't wear body armour we'd right. take it off really because because it, it increases the, you know it's overheat it's heavy yep. now you think how light CBA is oh yeah 
how yeah. late it is. Yeah. And so, and we were thinking about that then because you're fighting people who are in dishdashes. Oh, I know, yeah. Not always flip flops, sometimes flip flops, you know, they've got a couple of mags right. on them and they've got yeah. the weapon. Yeah. Because they haven't got far to go when they finished. No. He's going to the, he's going to the compound. Yeah. Yeah, you know, or, or whatever. And just. Well, that, that's one thing I was trying to explain to uh, somebody about. Um, what what kind of what kind of people are are the time? What what kind of person is the enemy? And did 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 you hate them or did do you respect them or whatever? And you think well, put let, let's put it this way. Uh, I said that okay, you you you're a young a young Afghan. You know, life is not uh, not to say it's boring, but there is not a lot to do out in the desert um, unless you're a farmer or whatever. And you're being told stuff like. Oh, the Americans are they're, they're blowing up our mosque, which they probably have done a few, and and, and doing things to our women and this and other. It'd be quite easy for to turn a, you know a young impressionable man. Uh, we used to I don't know they used to call them that like ten dollar Taliban, or you just give them a ten dollars and then they would here's a AK forty seven and a mag. Some Brits or Americans over there, get yourself over there, pop a few shots off, and you know you're good sort of thing. And have like and now. You know, just ask question. Oh, ha- hang on. What what weapons have they got? And they're like, oh right, okay. So um, they've got uh, highly accurate small arms fire. Uh, they've got artillery, mortars. Obviously, highly accurate. They've got this um, Spectre gunship. They like to fly around. A tens, etc., etc. Fast air, thermal imagery. They've got um, missiles that, that if you run, will follow you. <laughs> you know, I'd be like. Yeah, no thanks. So it, they must know that before they got there. So it must take balls to actually, you know, go and try and shoot. You know, I'm not saying it's. Um, it's not the majority of the time oppression, though. Not oppre- no, not oppression. So I, because I, if you leave it like that, and the only influence is you getting asked to do it, and you're getting ten dollars, for example, or yeah. money, right? Yeah. And well, but there's there's the the repercussions of not. No, no. There's the. I think there's the religious ideological thing yeah. as well. Yeah. That that it's you know it's Allah's will or whatever, uh, and you obviously believe that strongly. That, that's that's what you've grown up with, um, and we're seen as a, 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 the infidel in their on their territory in their country, and, and you know you're doing the right thing by doing this. Um, it's, it's very it's very difficult, but you know I, they're still. It's very it's really weird to, to talk about it because I spent six months out there just just like hating them you know really really hating the the whole place the whole country everybody in it it was like what am I doing here this place is it's got it's to the dogs it's gone you know what let's just leave Um, but then when you think about it objectively later on it's like well why are they doing that Um, and really they are just people as well at the end of the day and there's obviously something behind the reasons why they're doing it and, and whether it's a uh, young impressionable kid who's who's been given a bit of money to go and have a go and he gets to shoot a gun you know or it's a fully grown because I know a lot of them were coming from Pakistan they were recruiting there and bringing them over um, so that there's a reason behind that so whatever they're being told there is is believable um, and and uh, sort of in like propaganda in a way isn't it you know that it's it's attractive for them to I don't know, join this religious war or whatever, if that's how they see it. But I think, so to come to the point of, you know, do you hate them or respect them, I think you've got to do both, haven't you, if you want to engage with them. Because uh, you don't want to um, underestimate them. When you say enemies. engage with them, you mean... Like fight Engaging. Them. Yeah, engage, yeah. yeah. So, um, just, 
be respectful of 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 what they can do although it's really it's really weird because i never felt at any point that any of their small fire was very accurate or any of the mortars or the random uh, rockets that would fly it was just it was nowhere near you know you, they would get the odd accurate rpg at us and things like that but still you can't you, you can't disrespect that because you never know you do you know um for instance i remember one uh, young afghan policeman sat on a sandbag at a checkpoint peeling potatoes and uh obviously this was too much for the the taliban they were like right just want to send a sniper up here because we've got this guy <laughs> sat on a sandbag and the next thing his head's taken off and from that point it's like you just can't underestimate what these guys are capable of um albeit they've got such a wide range from the ten dollar taliban there's some young kid or whatever who's going to come and try and you know throw a few shots at you right up to guys who are highly trained from foreign countries who come over and, and have, a, have a go so yeah it's interesting um <clears> hmm <throat> you could go down the rabbit hole of all of oh no yeah. it's like uh i don't think i i don't remember hating them i don't remember liking them no i remember i know you know just, just objective just that's it it's objective just, 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 just a job we gotta sort it out and that's that you know what um but what our perception of right and wrong is and good and bad is not what yeah. our perception is and yeah, if you exactly. look at um, and we say well uh, and, and I'm not I'm just playing devil's advocate here yeah. I'm not saying what I'm saying is right or wrong it's just a different perspective yeah. you know uh, well Hugh in that village there's oppression going on this that and the other and the Taliban have these illegal checkpoints and and they take money off the locals and yeah. they make them farm the poppies and all the rest of it Okay, so that's what's being described to me. I put it, put the shoe on the other foot. Yeah. So that that village. Mm-hmm. That's not how they see it. No. That's just village life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and well, the like, Taliban coming into the, the the elder and going, "Oi, you're gonna help. You're gonna you're gonna plant. I don't care what they say. You're gonna plant poppies here. And, uh, oh, uh, yeah. oh uh, plant poppies here. You're gonna do this, or you're gonna." You're gonna build a wall over there because it helps us with the you know keep the pits out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, the elder doesn't think. Oh, I'm being oppressed. No, it's just life. Yeah, just want to keep. Just, this is normal. Just That's keep normal. The yeah. Britain wasn't far off that. No, <laughs> flipping hundreds of years ago, no. exactly the same thing. Yeah. People coming in through stronger, who were a bit more savvy, who want to get. And that, funny enough, it's just how it works now. Yeah, just we're more subtle about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's all I'm I, I, again. Devil's advocate, just perspective. So, <clears throat> when you go back to um, uh, the, uh, what 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 were we doing and reasons and and all the rest of it and, and, and right and wrong, they think they're equally as right as exactly. what we think. Exactly. And yeah. you mentioned propaganda. Yeah. Who who who's yeah, to say? Yeah. What is propaganda? Uh, look yeah. at look at like what. We, you know, China are bad people. Russians are flipping bad people to us yeah. in a minute. Yeah. What do you think the Russians have been told? Oh, yeah, exactly. How convinced do you think they are? Yeah. Just as convinced as we are. It's true. Who's right? I know. It's <laughs> Nobody true. knows. It's, it's a hideous, like, it's a hideous uh, thought yeah. uh, path to go down. But I think the w- the way I'm coming from is is that you've, you've been censored when you've got to do a job and you know there's enemy out there. Whether who whether it was I mean I'm sure like the Brits and the the Germans in the Second World War you know how how you know you see some pictures of a of a Spitfire guiding a, a Messerschmitt <coughs> into land you know you got that sort there's that side and then there's 
people completely despising the whole German race and vice versa, or whatever. And it's it's how do how do you look at that? And the way I looked at it was both. It was uh, I hated them at one point, but then I respect them at another, and definitely felt empathy and sympathy for the locals and things like that. It's mm. just a roller coaster ride. Nobody nobody trains you how to deal with any of that. It's just you. I mean, oh, seeing a little girl, you know, come up to you and having a chat, and one of the lads giving her a boily sweet green one. Puts it straight in the mouth. Still got the wrapper on. <laughs> so there, it's brilliant. But it's it's just that little human connection, you know. That that's just like that makes yeah. your day, sort of thing. And then the next thing, it's spoiled by you know somebody takes a pot shot and you're like, oh, that's it. It's getting back game face back on, and yeah. this world, this place sucks. You know, it's yeah. it's a difficult it's a difficult uh, thing to put anyone through. Um, but I think it's I don't know if you get the feeling that people back here, I don't know, do they understand more now of of, 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 of what guys have been through in terms of you know there's a big thing with PTSD nowadays and, and mental health and this that and the other Do, it, is it any better than it was or what the the, um, the public um, opinion with, with, with the military yeah you know in terms of what the guys go through and um, when they come back and why things might be different and stuff like that or do you think it's just that's been, it's been like that and it always will be I think it's been like that and it always will be um, as in there, there is a is significant or can be a significant effect there is you know on on uh, mental health yeah. um, from war yeah. and that effect has changed over time as the nature of war has changed and way it's done or you know battle you know um, but I think you know it's sort of that if the levels of the numbers of people who experience it are the same now as it was before it's just yeah. we know you know proportionally it's just we know we're more aware, aware of it now yeah. Um, and we're definitely getting a better deal with it. You know. I've well, the, the, like you say about the decompression, I, I, for some, I think I came back slightly early from my Afghan tour. I missed it because I think I was getting extra leave because I was about to go on my junior command course. So I, I didn't go through any decompression. When I'd heard about what the lads had done, they'd just gone on a beach and had a barbecue and a load of beers. You know, and that was pretty much it. And that was. And then when you're coming back, and they wonder why lads are going out on a night out and just <clears throat> smashing everything up and getting in trouble, and it's like, well, you know, there's a reason why. Because <laughs> they're still in Afghan mode, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah it's, a good, it's a good point, actually. It isn't great, but then if you're... So, so the first... <laughs> uh, he changed later on. No alcohol. He changed later. There was no Did alcohol. They, right? Yeah, yeah. See, so we, we were lucky with that. I think we got... We had a few drinks in Afghanistan in Bastion I think Christmas you managed to get a few oh did you yeah no well, I know there was, there was someone had someone had some out there I think I got sent a bottle of port I think as well oh did you and obviously you haven't drank for four months it was in Bastion no. some, some yeah. in Bastion yeah but not on the ground I think lads were drinking the alcohol gel out of the <laughs> wash your hands with yeah. it's interesting going back sorry to the um, decompression when you think about mental health and uh and the impacts of alcohol and how to you know how to go about living you know living life yeah. and dealing with um <clears throat> dealing with a different state of mind that you have uh, and that the first thing you do when you leave afghan is to go uh, is to go and get pissed yeah. on your first your first night in back in you know 
literally, not in Afghan. Literally handed a Let's, can as you yeah, walk through the door. Yeah. It's going to get pissed. Yeah. I, I had a good night, like. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, you think, flipping heck. Probably psychologists and and uh, and psychiatrists thinking, fucking. Well, I did it on my, ever. on my R&R. <laughs> I came home, we went straight to the pub, and it was karaoke night. I was on the karaoke machine <laughs> singing, just completely off it. I hadn't had a drink for long. My, my mother, who she doesn't drink very much, she was so ill the next day because obviously she's going through, you know, emotional stuff and whatever. I think everybody, it was a, it was a good night. Everybody struggled the next day sort of thing. So, yeah, it probably isn't the best way to... I think it's... it's I say it's, it's a distraction, isn't it? It distracts the focus, <laughs> yeah. you know, from... You, the last thing you want is to be quizzed about all the intimate details on, on how life is out there and stuff like that. You just want to get back to normal. What's normality in Britain? It's going out on a, on a Friday night, isn't it, I guess? And uh, having a few beers. So, but, uh, yeah. Should we talk about the row a bit more? You carry on, buddy. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking I've so much. I could talk all day about Afghan and and stuff like that but uh, so the last person I haven't mentioned there is our skipper uh, Will Quarmby it's um, Quarmby Quarmby yes do you uh, slag him off for his surname <laughs> for, for a great number of things surname's <laughs> one he's got a degree at Loughborough Uni which he likes to tell everybody about <laughs> in furniture making believe it or not which I think is pretty cool um, but so he's our I won't say token civvy but so we've got like we've got tri services. We've got you know the, the the navy, the army, the air force, and then we've got our uh, civvy skipper Will Quarmby who ties us together. He, he he did own a coffee shop. I think he, he sold the coffee shop now in a deli. Um, but he, not to fund the boat. No, no, God, no, no, thank <laughs> no. But people, that's the thing. We, we just, our campaign has been so well organised. Uh, we've had a lot of luck, but you make your own luck, and um, you know it. it, it the, the people that will be the start line this year in fact there's people that deferred to next year because they, they can't afford it they haven't managed to raise the funds and we have um, but Will is he's although he's a civvy he, he's, he's <coughs> I, think, I think it's it's good because he's he's the calm out of all of us and he just he, you know he just keeps everybody right he's very compassionate as well which is good um, so you need a like a soft you know a soft arm to, to lean on but he probably is that as well uh, and I think the, the, the good thing about the team is that although Duncan has done uh, a, a crossing, there's no real like ocean rowing authority on the boat. You know, it's we, we, we've decided between us how things are going to run and, and and what we're going to do, and a bit of a democratic process. But obviously, Will, being the skipper, has the final say, and it's it's been <laughs> interesting because he's. Um, for me, because I was a signaler, we did our VHF course. He's he's like phonetic alphabet. Just <laughs> it's not there. And he's coming out. Yeah, um, wigwam, indigo, llama, llama, and all that. I was like, what? The fuck? So everything now we just take this out of him. Like the the phonetic alphabet doesn't exist in Will's world. But uh, <coughs> so yeah, so we we've we've had to go through um, a number of Royal Yacht Association courses. Oh really? Yeah. So we've done uh, essential navigation at sea. Uh, seamanship, um, first aid at sea, sea survival, and VHF license. So everybody on the boat has to have that. It's part of the race rules. I think it's actually because of the uh, port authority at Lagomera doesn't want to let anybody leave there without sufficient qualifications. Basically, so they've sort of said, "Yeah, we've done our safety bit. We know everybody's qualified." On the ocean rowing side of things, you've got to do 96 hours um, of 
uh, rowing basically or, or time on the water mm-hmm. to, 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 to drill everything together so, as a team together as a team yeah. so whether that's split up into weekends or, or or one big long week or whatever that's so not a lot it's not a lot it's not we've we've done we've done more than that I think we've done maybe over a hundred hours but it, it isn't a lot um, and to be honest uh, the rowing side of things is it's it's less of a focus. It, there's so much other stuff that's that's more. Uh, the the race can be won on administration alone. You know. What do you mean? Well, so you, two on you rowing, two <laughs> on, two off. Two guys are rowing, two guys are resting for two hours. Swap round every every two hours. Every everybody every team's going to do that. You know. Um, it's the, it's the other stuff like the changeovers. How quick are your changeovers? If you're messing about and you you know you're spending five minutes on your changeover. Okay, so you're doing. Uh, six changeovers a day, uh, five minutes. You know, times six adds up. By the time you've done thirty days, all those five minutes add extra days onto your journey. So just simple things like that. Things like the the you've got, we have to change our auto tiller. We've got a like a machine at the back that that keeps the the rudder moving, keeps us on in direction. If you don't change that, the motor burns out, and then your hand steering, which is just it's just an epic because you know you've you've, you've now lost. An hour's rest because now you're steering for an hour while two guys are rowing. Then you'll swap round. Oh so, my god! So we don't we don't want that. Um, feeding yourself, obviously, we, we've got to, we have to have six thousand calories a day, minimum, um, and that even that's not enough. We'll probably lose a third of our body weight by the time we get across. Um, so you know, it's it it's a pretty brutal regime. Uh, you two on, two off, two, two hours on, two hours off for the entire time. The entire time. What, what target are you going for? Target time you're going for? So, to be honest, any, <coughs> anything less than forty days would be good. It'd be great. You know, it, you say That's we want. I know we want to. We want to win. Want to win the race. We want to win our our category, and that's down towards the end of the day. It's so difficult because all the boats so far apart. You know, they could be hundreds of miles apart. You know, at any one time, and the weather where they are, and the weather where you are could be completely different and it, do you not all set off at the same time you set off 15 minute intervals but obviously as time goes you'll start to you could be an hour apart two hours apart whatever and the weather's completely different you know where they are the sea might be different the currents might be different so you've got the wind and the currents to to find and luckily we've got a chap <coughs> in the uk called stokey stokey woodall he's like the 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 yoda of the sea so you know of, of weather and he's doing all our weather routing so we're going to phone call with him every day he gives the next the next waypoint. Maybe we need to spend three hours going directly north, which will be really weird because we want to head west to get closer to our end goal. But it's like it'd be like, nope, head north three hours and you'll get a really good wind. So like that, right, okay. And we might go three up. So we might be rowing this three rowing positions. We might be three up then. Um so it, it's what, three three rowing. So we've got three rowing positions, but predominantly it'll be just two rowing at any So if you need to make up time for Yeah, so it make up time or just because we were talking about um, we'll all donate an hour extra a day, so you know you, you, you're getting in that third row position <coughs> each once a day. So that makes means just three of you. It's um, in the training we've done, we, we've had some decent lengthy rows, and it, it it it's different because the first three days is, is like the cliche. The, the worst part of the race is the first three days because your body's not used to. Like sleep deprivation, you, you can't really train for that. You can't go right this week. I'm going, I'm going to wake myself up every two hours in the night, just so I'm ready for the row. That you wouldn't do that. Which you? you wouldn't like. I'm going to have a baby 
in six months' time, right, I'm going to set my alarm for random times in the night so I'll mm. get ready for this baby. It's just a case of you're just going to have to do it when you get there. So really all our training has been those first three days because we've only been able to get away together as, as a team for, the, for weekends. So when we've set off, it's just been two on, two off and for however long we're out for. And uh, so really, we, you're not sleep. We are, I haven't really slept a great deal on the boat in the training because you just sort of, I don't know, you're not excited or anything like that, but you're, you're on high alert, it's new, um, and you know you're getting woke up. Obviously, three days out, you're going to be absolutely knackered, and as soon as your head hits that pillow in that cabin, you'll be out, you know. So, But training for that's difficult, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, brutal regime. It's referred to as the toughest row on earth, which sounds pretty cool. Um, <laughs> it's not gonna, you're not going to be thinking that when you're doing oh, no. it mate. this is this pretty is, cool yeah. <laughs> but uh, a cool story actually on in the training we um, if you've seen that Ross Edgeley has just completed his uh, round Britain swim oh yes just I did see that, Britain, yeah. 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 so we were uh, on a training weekend and we'd, we'd uh, tied up a, a, on a mooring boy and we were just doing a watch on the because we were right outside the harbour went to come in it was dark we thought we can't just all get heads down for a couple of hours because there'd be boats and that coming out so we'll leave a watch on on the boat uh, anyway someone heard on the radio oh, uh, this is uh, Hecate we've got a lone swimmer in the water Hecate's the name of Ross's boat um, we're just going to come past the head point and then uh, drop a waypoint so we know where to start on the next swim and come in we're like lone swimmer that's got to be Ross Edgley and we're like what? go on Google where's Ross Edgley now it's like Ross Edgley is off Hartlepool we're like <laughs> right should we should we get hold of him and see if we can come and see oh no they'll be they won't want to speak to us. He'll be busy. So far, oh no, we've got to. So over the on the VHF, we didn't get Will to do it. <laughs> God knows what he'd have said. Uh, like, oh yeah, no, come over. He'd love to see you. Yeah. So we rode round, and he's in the water. He's got this like little pink boy. It's like a inflatable, not a <laughs> not a child, inflatable <laughs> boy uh, behind him, so you can see him. Because I was like, he's there. That's him there. I'm like, I don't know what you point at. I can't see anything. He said, see that pink boy. I said, yeah. Look in front of it. You just every now and again just see this arm. Like that, and he's in the water swimming, like away from. And this boy's just to show you where he is. So obviously he's rowed at, at this point two thirds of the way around Britain, and uh, I don't swam. think swam. Sorry, rode. We rowed, <laughs> not that far either. Um, yeah, I don't think he knew we were coming because he, he seemed really surprised. Like, oh, what the are you doing over? Because it's like half five in the morning. Swam over, he had a chat. It was absolutely buzzing. Uh, he said, oh, you know, you're doing a really great job and this and we've been following you the whole way. And uh, he's like, oh, well, when we come in, you have to come and say hello. So next thing, we're all, we're all inside Hackbull Marina, sat on his boat, Hecate having cup two, Ross Edgley, Red Bull's there filming everything. And we're like, oh, do you want to come see our boat? He comes over to our boat because he's not allowed on land because our boat's tied to on a jetty. So he, he couldn't... He's not allowed. Yeah, he's not allowed on land the whole time. He's got to stay on that boat. So I think 130-odd <laughs> days he was at it. People are mental, I know, I know. People are mental. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like a black cat situation, isn't it? You know, that <clears throat> marathon's nothing now. You've got to run 100 miles these yeah. days, only to get yeah. any sort of uh, sponsorship from <laughs> from your parents. Um, he came over on the boat and was like, we haven't christened the boat, will you christen the boat? So he pops a bottle of champagne, gets it all in his eyes. And <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull filming it brilliant we were buzzing and he, we asked him to write a little note inside the cabin and he wrote uh, his favourite um, little uh, ditty of uh, be naive enough to start but stubborn enough to finish mm. and that 
to be honest, it's completely true about this whole rowing expedition for me. I, I don't want to know what it's like to be on 30 foot waves. I don't want to know what it's like to, to after the three day point when you've absolutely completely obliterated and you've not had any sleep and I said, I'll just do it when we get there. So I think oh, I'd be all right. You know, it's like, you know, a, a, a veteran soldier is a scared soldier. You want the young guy who's never been, <laughs> he's never been on the front line. He's like, what happened to me sort of thing. Yeah. So that's my attitude for this row is, is just, just take it as it comes, you know. <clears throat> um, but two years in the making, I just want to, I just want to get on with it now. Go out to Lagomera at the end of this month and um, race starts 12th of December. Uh, we're the first four-man team to leave, okay. which is great. So uh, I'll send you the link to the app. You'll be able to follow the little boat. I'll be the one at the front. Send the link. But uh, interestingly enough, I, I took the, the boat to the kids' school and uh, we did uh, like question answers. The most popular question is, where do you go to the toilet? And was like, Pick this bucket up. I said, that, that's, that's your toilet. Um, so obviously you do everything in a bucket and then over the side. Um other than that, I think that they were more yeah they were more interested in the trailer I think than anything else. <laughs> what was special about the trailer? It, it's just it's shiny silver, brand new trailer. It's pretty cool trailer to be fair. Um, but uh, yeah, some of the questions right? Yeah, no. Are you hot bagging them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got um. So we've, I've got you know the old jungle sleeping bag. Yeah. We've got two of them, and we've each got our own like it, silk. You never be warm enough in that. Well, where we are, it's the Tropic of Cancer. So, it, if you think like Antigua in December, January is that's their summer. Is oh, it, you know, okay. If you want to go for some winter sun, you'll go to the Caribbean um, or Mexico. Is it? I think for winter sun, is that right? I, I don't have no idea. Know. Anyway, it, it's, it'll be so Lagomera December will be twenty degrees, and then as we go further south, because instead in of going the day though, yeah, in the day, or at night. Well, the cabins can get quite hot because they're quite small and stuffy. But we've got this jungle bag, and then we've got a silk liner. So yeah. we've each got our own silk liner. So you're not getting in someone else's honking silk liner. <laughs> that what has been washed for four yeah, days. Th- yeah, for, yeah, basically. So yeah, hot bagging pretty much. Um, trying to think of all the other weird special stuff. rations or you using special rations, rations or what? No. So we've got to have um, sixty days worth of rations. Uh, obviously hopefully we not not require that 20% of which have to be wet so like the old pusses boiling the bag style which is a 20% because we've got our water maker if if that fails we've got no means of making water and therefore the rest of the rations are all freeze dried you need to add water to so that means we can't now eat anything if the water maker isn't broke we can't drink and we can't eat but at least we've got 20% of emergency wet rations that we can eat you know um, what powers the water maker solar, solar panel. panels yeah so we've got solar panels front and back they power the batteries and that in turn powers everything from um, the, the VHF the, the chart plotter um, any, if you want to charge <laughs> anything like we'll be taking our phones with us but we're not, we'll be ringing any, well I suppose we will be ringing people but it's like a iridium mm-hmm. so we've got the iridium go so we'll be able to email people from home stuff like that so it's not like we're completely disconnected from the world, um, but it is limited. And obviously, the water maker takes priority for power. That we've got a, I think, with fifty liters or whatever, we want to make that first. And that's the day's worth of rations, water, and then everything else after that is is good. But if that goes, or if the power goes to that, we've got a hand pump. I think Duncan's got some good images on his uh, Instagram uh, of him pumping water, which is. The, 
a bad scenario because not only rowing for two hours, you're now having to pump water on your off shift. Um, oh my god! And, uh, and so if that goes, then you are up shit creek. You've got we've we have to carry fifty liters of emergency ballast. It's like it's emergency water. It's mm. in the ballast. We're not allowed to touch that. It's part of race rules, other than emergency. If we touch it, we'll get time penalties at the end. So it's all pretty well thought through on their part. Um, it's just that that for me just always seems weird. So why carry water if you're not going to use it? But you know, well, it's in case you, yeah, in case everyone <laughs> go have a good pair ship, yeah, and you're not worried about time no, penalties, you're no, worried no. about having water. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> what so. kind of what kind of safety things do they have in place then? They obviously track you. Yeah, so you've got a you've got an, an onboard tracker. <clears throat> Every boat's got one of those. You got an EPIRB, which is like a, like a positioning device. So if you get in distress, you just set this off, and it tells Falmouth Coast Guard, which is where it's registered to, and then they'll start a uh, international like uh, rescue plan, which will probably be the nearest vessel you must go to this point and rescue these guys. That's maritime law. Um, so you know you, you're not uh, you're not up shit creek without a paddle. You know you, there there are options, but it's just nothing's happening quick. So I'm in charge of the medical side of things, and obviously my biggest fear is is an injury that's like I don't know. I have this thing about eyes, like it's an eye injury. I'm like, what well, if something happens? You know, it could be days before somebody gets to us. So, you know, we just have to take as many precautions as we can to not get injured. We're hard, we've got safety harnesses on, so, you, so you're rowing in a harness. You got just like a just the belt basically, and that's clipped on to like a. Uh, a strap at the bottom and then you clip it on at the top whenever we, this is something that we've decided um, it is part of the safety rules but you probably find not a lot of teams are rigid with it and we've said no like this is non-negotiable whenever you move up and down this boat until you get in that hatch you are clipped on at all times um, I think that's probably the military side of us coming out you know the, the, the rigidity of it so as soon you, you, you've woken up you're on shift Guy comes down, he's off the oars now, knocks on the door, you get out, first thing you do, clip on, he gets in, you go around, and he clips off. And then the hatch has to be shut at all times, because if, if a rogue wave comes in, or you get capsized, and the hatch is open, it won't self-right. So they are uh. self-righting as long as the hatches are closed. <coughs> so there's hatch and harness discipline, basically, that's like the number the number one uh, thing for us, definitely. How many of, uh, what kind of proportion of the teams don't finish? There is. Normally, um, do you know? I don't know. I, I know there've, there've been there've been issues in the past. Um, there's some really good um, like mini documentaries on YouTube. You know, of, of past races. 2015 was a good one. I think two two guys from an American team and one one got Kazivacked, um halfway across, and then when the yacht came to save them, one of the other guys decided I don't want to be on here either. So he jumped on as well. Um, it was a team of four. <laughs> a team of four. Oh my god! Then became a team of two uh, on a four-man boat, which is obviously heavier than a two-man boat. So <laughs> that must have been just—I don't know how. They, there's there's another funny story of a of a married couple. I think three days out, the husband decided, "I, I don't want to do this." So the yacht picked him up, and she finished it on her own. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think I don't know if that relationship's still going, but uh, at some call, that isn't it. Yeah, yeah, shows you the the mental resilience needed to do. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a funny place, definitely. It, it must be, but uh, I think the two guys got capsized. They must have left the hatch open. Um, <coughs> the the two Egyptian lads and they ended up getting rescued by a shipping a shipping container ship. 
and he was uh, one of them was diabetic didn't have his stuff with him it was like now it's like an emer- another emergency I think they had him like I, I don't know enough about diabetes but someone was saying that they had him running up and down stairs to keep him awake or to keep his sugar oh, low or high or whatever I don't know it's <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> not ideal it's is punishment it? for being a flippant <laughs> yeah. idiot right what are you going to have to do now <laughs> yeah so it's um, I don't know what the percentage is but I think to be honest Talisker uh, up until that point there'd been a few years where ev- everybody just got across no problem and so it it may have seemed that, that this was not a done deal but it's like oh you just get the boat to set off from the start line and eventually you'll get across the Atlantic and now they've had these these few accidents I think they lost a guy who just got popped off overboard when they, before they had these harnesses they used to have the old ankle leashes mm-hmm. and he just got popped off by a, it wasn't particularly well like a surfboard kind of thing yeah yeah Good. yeah. so I mean that's that's the weight that that's to stop your surfboard from getting away which weighs nothing <laughs> yeah. not to stop you getting away from a boat yeah. um, it wasn't particularly high sea, he, uh, sea state I don't know whether it was a team of three or a team of four, but he just got popped off by a rogue wave and the team just watched him disappear off into the horizon, never saw him again. Um, because obviously the, the the boat is it's literally, you know, this 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 low you know, this high out of the water. That's as much as there is. Like half a foot. Yeah, just 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 that. Yeah, get, it's getting bigger <laughs> foot, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Um but it it's designed to glide on the on the water. When you go in the water, you're not designed, you know, and, and obviously the wind catches the boat and so you'll just <clears throat> disappear so we've been practicing the old man overboard drills and, and throwing the uh the safety line and stuff like that and um there's all sorts of all sorts of things to practice which we've which we've all done now you know even just simple things like uh, the power anchor i don't know if you've heard of the power anchor. it's like a underwater parachute so if we're getting blown the wrong direction or and we, we're losing ground we want to slow that down while the weather's bad and it might turn later we'll throw this p- underwater parachute It'll go under water, open up, and when the boat pulls it taut, it'll just stop, just mm. stop us dead in the water, pretty much. Um, so, but we can also use that as an emergency brake. So we've been working out, you know, do we put that out straight away when the man goes? No, we want to get the the line to the man first. So just simple things yeah, like because yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's a big learning curve because we've you know it's it's an amateur race. They give you all these details. There's no written procedures for you know what to do if a man goes overboard. There's there's general procedures, you know, what you should do, like, so, but with a rowing boat, it's just, it doesn't work as well, so the man goes overboard, the next person really stands up, shouts man overboard, gets everyone up, and then his job from then on is to point at that man and just keep an eye on him so he can see it, and nothing else, he can't do anything else, he's got to point at that man. Then somebody else is going to have to turn the boat round, then row towards him, and because you're on auto till you want to whip that off, then someone's going to have to hand steer, and try and get to him. So it's just epic. It's complete epic. And so there's no real written procedure. So we're just trying to work out what's best for mm-hmm. us. And we think that throwing the line to the man first, and obviously when you throw it, you can leave your hand there. <laughs> point yeah. at him. Um, and so that's the first thing we want. To, <coughs> we want to get that line to him. But fingers crossed. Hopefully harness discipline. No, that should never happen. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots 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 have gone through. And like I say, it's been it'll be two years in the making. And uh, it's like having an extra full-time job. I can imagine. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of pressure on family time, and I work because I work for myself. So these two months, I'm away. I'm not working. So I've been trying to like work twelve months in ten months this year, which has obviously been a strain. Uh, but the wife and the wife's been very supportive. I'm glad I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, t- to be fair, it's been a roller coaster ride from her as well. Because initially, it was like 
what, what do you want to do? You want to row the you want to row the Atlantic, right? Okay, fine. You know, it's like really is that God this sake. this is what do you want to do now? <laughs> you taking up golf last right? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Oh, it's rowing the Atlantic this year, right? Go on then in January, you know, when you're right back to the gym and then rowing the Atlantic two years <laughs> yeah. time. Um but uh because Duncan was involved, I think she thought, oh, actually, this might actually happen because because um, he'd done it before and he, he he's pretty organised lad, <laughs> and uh, we've gone from that to being this fucking row, you know, <laughs> sick and mm. tired of everything to do with it. Oh, you can take time off work for the row, but you can't for your family. It's, it's just been really difficult. Um, and then now she's gone the other way that it's happening now. You know, it is happening. There's no way of getting out of it. She's been super supportive. I think because we've met all these great people on the way I think she can see the benefit for, for me in the long run as well you know um, just even just things of like the school you know for the kids t- taking the boat and we took some row machines in we did a rowathon. it was in the local paper the, the kids were absolutely buzzing mm. so now all like my children's friends are, are super supportive to them they're always asking them questions oh how's your dad doing when's he going on this row so that's really good for them because when I'm away they've, they've never they've no, I've never been away from the kids Lily's nine and Harry's seven so I think it will be good for them actually to to experience that. Although Sarah might not think so, but um, yeah, it's a bit of bit of adversity never hurt anyone. No, yeah. it'd be good, mate. Yeah, so <coughs> I can old, still talk uh, to them. The old phrase, character building. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at the time. Um, we need to start wrapping it up. Yeah. Can you? Not can you? Flipping it, am I talking about? Anything you you haven't mentioned already, or you want to re-mention, or whatever? Shameless plug opportunity you now for whatever. Obviously, your wife's amazing. Oh yeah, Sarah. She's done. Sarah, Sarah, done a brilliant job with the kids, with everything. Because <laughs> it, it it wasn't me, basically. Um, yeah. No, so, just my opportunity to firstly say thanks to everybody that supported us so far. Um, that our lead sponsors be worth a mention: Rescue, Grantley Hall, and um, what's the one? CNG Power Up by CNG. Yeah, from Harrogate been absolutely amazing they're our lead sponsors by the way um but other than that if, if anybody wants wants to follow us instagram at row number four victory um on facebook twitter linkedin if you've got it we're on it uh you can tell i've said this a lot before <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no it's i mean if anybody's got any questions anybody's thinking of doing it in the future it's next year's race is is double the fleet of this year you know so it's getting more and more popular uh, if anybody's got any questions, I'd be more than happy to, to help them out. Yeah. Cool. I'll stick the link to the website up on on yeah. this when this goes up. And uh, I wish you all the best, buddy. Yeah, and cheers, the team. Mate. Good Thanks. luck with it. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Tim. Another thank you to our sponsors today, Westway Nissan, up to 20% off the service levers, and ooh, people are still serving, funny enough. Westway Nissan, the credit UK, Westway Nissan on social media, also Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes.org, founded by rugby players. They like to drink alcohol to raise money for armed forces charities sounds like my kind of uh, my kind of organization it is my kind of organization because i know them so uh, there we go their next event is the beer engine festival next year rugby for heroes.org and rugby number four heroes on social media and also who else sponsors us today westway rugby for heroes and team rubicon sponsored us today didn't they yes they did Disaster Response Charity, 
who uh, help out with disasters, funny enough, both in the UK and overseas. It's not just overseas stuff, it's the UK as well. Yeah, they helped out the floods in the past and similar things. Most of their um, most of their volunteers are ex-military. So it's almost like a transition kind of thing with Team Rubicon as well. Awesome organisation, really happy to sponsor in the show. TeamRubiconUK.org. Thank you very much. Until the next time, out. <laughs>